And now, ladies and gentlemen, check it out. You've got to start somewhere. The podcast that takes you behind the scenes of show business to prove there's no such thing as an overnight success. With your host, Rachel Corbett. Welcome to the show. Today, I am chatting to television host, newsreader, and lover of gurneying the driveway, <laughs> Natasha Belling. Hello. You have done all the proper research, Rach. <laughs> Every time when we were doing Sunday Project together that we would come in at about 11 or midday, you would have always been painting the fence, gurneying the driveway. You're a very DIY type person. It is bizarre. I don't know who I am because I certainly wasn't like this even five years ago. What was the first thing that got you into the old DIY? Painting. Oh, right. I, you know, I'd paint a fence and my husband would go, oh, my gosh, you should have stopped there, but you've continued right along there. I found it very, very therapeutic. It's like gardening. I can't believe who I am today. My word, because seeing you, because you're looking snazzy always on the telly. I Trust just... me, it's heaps of makeup. <laughs> I just can't imagine you in your dungarees or whatever out in the backyard painting a fence and out with a gurney. You ask the poor makeup team, or I call them, you know, reconstruction experts with the cement truck coming in with makeup. They are constantly getting paint out of my hair. Oh, yep. Really? And they'll say straight away, oh, have you been painting? But I find it really, this is bizarre, incredibly relaxing. Isn't that amazing? Well, mm. there you go. But we start off the interview with a little bit of did you know? I know. <laughs> Chipping away at what I people know. think. You have now been 20 years at Channel 10, right? 20 years this year. I started when I was five. <laughs> <laughs> I've used that line too much. <laughs> I. That's no mean feat in this business mm. because trying to stick it out for, and I come from a background of radio where you're la- lucky to last 20 minutes, but 20 years at the same network... Do you sort of go, shit, <laughs> how did I do that? Seriously, it was straight after uni, I had my other two jobs pretty quickly. Straight after uni in Bathurst, I was very, very lucky to have a wonderful, wonderful uh, first boss, Peter Andron, who was the member for Calais in Orange in country New South Wales. He was a school teacher, an English teacher first and foremost, and then he became a news producer and a journo, and then he moved out to Orange in country New South Wales in the Central West. So he was my first boss. I did lots of free work experience at Prime TV in Orange, driving over from Bathurst at some ungodly hour every morning, and did that for free for him, worked lots and lots and lots of work experience. And he said, look, we've got a position coming up, I want to sign you up. And then after about 18 months in Orange, I got asked to apply for a job in Darwin at the ABC, went up there for 18 months and then I came back to 10. So it's been 20 years back here. So Is, mm. is this what you always wanted to do? Concerningly so. Uh, I probably really from primary school I wanted to be a journalist. I never wanted to be on television. I just wanted to be a newspaper journalist. I loved writing and my parents... <laughs> Which now as a parent of two boys and my youngest particularly is exactly like me, always asks why and questions everything. I now get it as a parent how annoying that quality is in a child. But it was the foundation to be a great journalist, I think. And still to this day, I do get, ask anyone that works with me, I get incredibly fired up about stories and nothing drives me more nuts than injustice. 
Wow. So what was it when you were that at that age? Were you, was it something that you saw on telly or was it, why did you get that in your bones? Or did you just like writing? Because I, I liked writing when I was a kid, but I wanted to be a novelist. I didn't think of journalism. I was just like, I like to write stories. Yeah, well, look, I'm certainly creative. Mm. Maths wasn't my strength. <laughs> right. <laughs> but... Uh, I loved creative writing and mamas kept all of my creative stories in little exercise books and I loved that but I love telling people's stories and I love meeting people from all walks of life and I think that's one of the greatest honours in our game is to meet incredibly inspirational people and I'm really passionate about telling great stories as well as delivering the news that we need to deliver which often is not such good news Mm. but I seriously see it as an honour every day. Even today on Studio 10, you are seeing history unfold before your very eyes. That is an incredible privilege. Is it a real comfort to know what you want to do at that age and then just work step by step towards it? No, it was very, very stressful because I needed to get very, very high marks in my HSC to get into the course in Bathurst. And I think, you know, looking back now, that was probably even more stressful because... That's, I wanted to go to Mitchell at Bathurst. It was the best journalism course in the country at that stage. And so I know that I needed to get those – I knew I needed to get those scores. And if I didn't, I didn't know what else I was going to do. There but, you go, your dreams. Uh, exactly. Ex- <laughs> boom, gone. Uh, but I did, which was great. So, yeah, I see it truly, seriously today as an absolute privilege. Who were you – were you at uni with anybody that you're working with now? Andrew Kirk, who used to was at Channel 10 as a journo when I first started here at 10. He now works in public relations. Um, he went to Mitchell. Mel Doyle went to Mitchell. Deborah Knight went to Mitchell. Mm, they call it the Mitchell, Mitchell Mafia. Mafia. <laughs> so there were lots of um, the lovely Amanda Keller, yes. Andrew Denton, another great friend of mine who is now a producer in the States, Phil Goyen. He was in my year at uni. Kieran Gilbert, who was a political reporter in Canberra for Sky News. Jim Callanan, a sports journo. They were all in my year so great bunch of people it's a good I guess for people listening to this who think I want to get into journalism it's still a great step to get in there the course is still seen very highly absolutely Mm. but I would also say yes the degree is very important and you also get to meet wonderful people and have a great social life Mm. work experience is my number one tip because that's how you get in the door and make your contacts I knew nobody in the industry when I started and also it gives you a good insight. I, I have known a couple of people that have wanted to follow a specific career path and have then done work experience and thought, actually, you know what, this is not the world for me because real life is sometimes not what it's like in the textbook. So when did you get your first work experience gig? Were you still in school when you were getting work experience? The Mudgy Guardian in country New South Wales. Ooh, I know. That snazzy rag. I know. Um, very prestigious. It was pro- actually I was probably in about year nine, and so and then I went to the Namoy Valley Independent in Gunnedah. So were you doing this in school holidays? Mm-hmm. That's I, I know. I love this. I love it when like kids are like, I'm driven. I want to do this, and it's not. No, I'm going to go to pool parties or holidays. I really know I want to do that. And were your friends doing that, or was it just you? My nickname at school was Extra Credit. Oh. So I was, and this is what frustrates me as a mum now of two boys and I adore them, but they have a much better life work balance than I ever did. Um, They're not very diligent. They're highly into sport and they're naturally talented both academically and uh, with sport. So they're both very lucky. My nickname was Extra Credit. So I would do extra assignments for history. I'd get 150 out of 100. Oh my God. 
And then I'd burn all the edges of my assignments to give them the like historical. Oh, because, oh, oh I love doing that. Yeah. And then I burnt my parents' house down <laughs> one morning. But um, no. Yeah. yeah, I used to get up at five o'clock every morning and study. But wait, you didn't actually burn your parents' I house. I nearly down. like had dropped the paper on the carpet <gasps> in a very very co- anyway. Oh, it was all for the love of journalism. <laughs> So what were those early work experience gigs like? Were you actually thrown into doing stuff or were you just getting coffees and making? No, look, I, I was really lucky and that's the other the other great thing but sad element of what's happened to journalism in the country is the fact that a lot of those regional areas have been downsized or closed. And that's where you got your extraordinary hands-on experience, often in a metro newsroom. A lot of the work experience kids did sit there and make coffee, but in the country areas, my gosh, you were thrown in the deep end. I remember my first job at Prime TV. We would, seriously, we had to do our own radio bulletin at five o'clock in the morning and I said to Peter, okay, so and, and so who will, will I be working with? And what? No, 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 it's just you. So you had to write five stories and present the news on the half an hour and on the hour right throughout the morning and then you'd go on the road as a television journalist. Oh, and, wow. and I remember jumping in there. I almost didn't make the 6.30 news and I was like <sighs> reading the stories and he said, look, I think you're a bit breathy and, you know, you might be stressed. <laughs> yeah, I'm no, shitting myself. <laughs> no, because I've just run in here and I didn't know what I was doing. I think we all have that, don't we, imposter oh, syndrome? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we kind of – anyway. But those regional jobs mm. are just so good for that kind of experience where you get to do a little bit of everything because mm-hmm. once you get to a, a stage where you're doing a show like Studio 10 or you're doing the news on Channel 10 or you're doing this, those bigger jobs, all of that accumulated experience of understanding what it means to be able to put those radio bulletins out, you know what, you start to get a sense of what everybody does. Absolutely. And have respect for everybody's role and understand what goes on rather than just sitting there going, well, it's my time to shine. (laughs) You know what I mean? Oh, look, that's the first thing I'd say, especially with the changing way of of the media now, is the fact if you want to be famous or you like seeing yourself on television, TV news is not for you. Yeah, totally. And and I think that's more reflective now than ever because the TV news bulletins or Studio 10 or the project, as you very well know, is not heavily scripted. A Mm. lot of it's ad-libbing and... If you don't know your stuff, you're um, embarrassed on national television. Which is never great. (laughs) Exactly. But also the regional newsrooms were great from being thrown in the deep end. You you didn't have a choice. And if you did make mistakes, and we all make mistakes, you did it on, you know, Prime TV, made the mistake on Prime TV in Orange or at the Namoi Valley Independent in Tamworth, you didn't humiliate yourself on national television. It also gave you a great work ethic. Yeah. Were you when you took those work experience gigs when you were in there, mm. was were your thoughts confirmed? Like you thought, yes, this is a hundred percent where I need to be and where I want to be? Yes, but I did have one experience where I met an awfully mean person who oh. treated people terribly and I remember going home and crying and thinking I can't do this these people are too mean Mm. and then I had my wonderful parents guide me and say you know what we'll face these people all the time and now we know them as bullies yep and the best way to approach them is to stand up to them but that made me even more determined I had a good cry I think everyone needs a good cry and I can't do this they're too mean it's too tough and then thought no you know what this is what I want to do and um, don't let the bully win. It's a bit of an eye-opener because it is a strange, just like journalism but also media more Mm -hmm. generally, radio, television. There is a lot of weird stuff that happens. (laughs) 
<laughs> and when you're a kid coming in quite young and you are sort of wide-eyed and think, oh, I want this to be everything and you think things are going to work a certain way and then you meet people like that and you're like, this isn't what life is supposed to be, <laughs> is it? <laughs> it's, it's a really harsh and quick lesson to learn but I think because I've had similar moments in my career, I've been in tears at times and, you know, you sort of get in these situations where you go, this is just wrong mm-hmm. and not right. Mm-hmm. But now after all those years, it sort of builds up a skin that I think is very important in this business because you need to be strong. I agree with you 100%. You need to be super strong. But a lesson that I've learnt and also my parents taught me this, there are some battles that you need to let go and there are others that you need to actually stand up and fight. I think that comes with wisdom. Mm. There's a lot of circumstances looking back over my many years that, If I was this age, I would have treated very, very, very differently. But also I think you get to your point in your life like in, you know, not just professionally but on so many different other, I guess, facets of your life that the way people behave is more of a a reflection of them and you can choose to react the way that you want to react. I think I agree with you. I think you have to be tough but once you lose – I'm the first to put my hand up. I'm highly emotional. Mm. <laughs> Are you? Highly emotional. But I think that's also an in- incredibly important skill to maintain in this job because I think sometimes your skin can be too thick mm. and you lose empathy. And that's something that I never, ever want to lose. I also think it's important that you. When you get to a point where you are closer to moving up the ladder, that you don't repeat the behaviour that was done to you. Oh, of course. You know, because some people you meet and they've just gone, well, I got treated like shit, so I'm going to treat mm. like shit down. Mm. But to actually, and, and I think that's where working a lot of different areas, having a lot of experience really helps you because you have complete respect for those around you and understand that it takes a lot of people to put a news bulletin together or it takes a lot of people to put a tv show together and you need to all work as a team whereas sometimes I've worked with people in the past where you go oh this is like it's not all about you you know (laughs) (laughs) He's got to back it off a bit. I don't know who you might mean. I've never (laughs) met such people that you refer to. I've also learnt that some of those interesting characters you meet, their stars sometimes shine brightly. And then burn right on out. Exactly. Yes, exactly. And I'd rather have a slow, quiet old burn, just like at the creamy middle, than any kind of stratospheric heights. <laughs> Sometimes come, oh my God, she can take a long time. Yeah. I'm like, can you hurry up? I've learnt the lesson now. I get it. I get it. You know, working for free is a really interesting thing. How long did you work for free for, do you think? Oh, my goodness. Long time? Oh, I would say once you... Um, looked at all the hours that I worked through high school, through uni. Oh, my goodness. There would be weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of free work. Mm. I think sometimes now where there's this sense of, well, you don't want to be exploited. But mm. actually, if you are willing to work for free and you feel like you're getting something which is experience and it's in an industry that you want to be in, often there aren't paying jobs, particularly mm. when you're starting out young. And it's amazing how often just being in the room or being somebody who other people have seen as a go-getter and a a job comes open and it's just like you're close, you'll do, Mm -hmm. works. But sometimes that takes a lot of time. And I've, I don't know, I've worked with some people or met some people. I've been teaching a bit in radio and stuff. And the expectation is I want the good paying gig now. 
It's like, but a lot of people that are oh doing gosh, the stuff yes. that you want to do now, mm-hmm. the number of times that I get emails from me, how do I get on the project? It's like work for 20 years. <laughs> like work for 15, 20 years. I know. And then you'll get on the project. I, I don't know whether because then I've met, you know, some people say it's a generational thing. I've met some wonderful young people mm. who have an excellent work ethic. I think sometimes it can be family influence. Yeah. It can be lessons maybe learnt at home. There is this, you know, reflection of instant gratification. Um, something that drives me nuts is when often we've had people that have come through the newsroom, oh, I don't want to work weekends or night shifts because it affects my social life. Ah, oh, welcome to television. I'm still working <laughs> <Yes>. weekends. <laughs> uh, but, but also I think that's... That's also reflective of sometimes that they actually don't have passion for it. And, and yep. I think sometimes that still does shine through. You can see on TV, whatever it job it may be, if you've got passion for journalism or passion for whatever career you follow, it shines through. You can see it within five seconds. When did, did you have a specific goal of where you wanted to get to in terms of journalism? Was there a specific paper or a specific city or something that you wanted to do or you just were happy to go where the jobs took you? I always wanted to be a newspaper journalist. I didn't really want to follow television. And then when I got to uni, we did broadcast journalism, which is obviously television, radio. And I remember for the first time you know, going through old VHS tapes. Mm -hmm. And there is nothing like seeing an historical event or a news event unfold on television. You know, newspapers are fabulous. I think the written word is a beautiful craft. But pictures and unfolding pictures of live events is extraordinary. And to be part of that, I just really wanted to be part of it. So then I thought television, but I didn't ever want to be a newsreader or a news presenter. I just wanted to be a TV journo. And then... When I was at the ABC in Darwin, the opportunity popped up when uh, the newsreader was sick, the lovely Rosemary Church, who now works for CNN in Atlanta. She was the newsreader up there. I was 21 and one of the news producers came up to me at about, I think we were on air at ABC in Darwin at 7 and he came up to me about quarter past six and said, look, Rosemary's really, really sick. She's got a terrible migraine. And I thought, well, why are you telling me? I'm cutting my story. You know, I need to get it to air. And he said, oh, we need you to read the news. And I said, are you joking? Are you serious? And he said, we do. We haven't got any other option. The backup newsreader was on holidays. He said, you've got 15 minutes in makeup. So I went into makeup, got my makeup done and didn't even have time to think about it. And in hindsight, that was the best way because I would have been an absolute crying mess. And I was shaking so profusely that they had to do a tight shot so they couldn't see my arms shaking. And then we had to do... Um, back then they had Australia Television News, which was a news service run by the ABC that went into Asia that had like 700 foreign pronunciations, including oh. Sasulo Bangbang Yuriono, <laughs> to which I was like, is someone filming this? You're throwing me in the deep end. But I did kind of um, – I drowned a little, but then I kind of um, – swam along so after that were they did you did you go right back to the journal stuff or did yeah you do and, more and news then reading? they said and then I think they liked um, me news reading and then lovely Rosemary would stay back and help me and look through all my tapes and say you need to do this or you need to do that and then I became backup news reader in Darwin and then that's when I got the job done here at 10. So did they did 10 see you or know about you mm. and then asked you to move yes what was that call like Look, I, the ABC one, I actually thought it was my friend Jean me up, a oh. uni mate of mine, and I said, yeah, sure, I know you've seen my stuff. I know I'm amazing, aren't I? 
Sorry, what's your name again? And I'm not going to say the person's name. Okay, John Smith. Yeah, 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 John. Look, what number should I... I'm really busy right now. And he said, okay, look, just letting you know we're applying for the journal. And I went, yeah, yeah, John. Look, I'm heading out on the weekend. I'll get back to you. That was the day when the jobs were advertised in the newspapers. So I got up at five o'clock in the morning to go down to the local news agents and there was John Smith's name, applications. (laughs) And I called my mate and said, did you team me up? And he said, no. And I went, oh my goodness, I have just. But I got the job, so. They probably thought, well, gosh, this girl's in demand. She's got a lot of stuff on. And playing it a bit cool sometimes makes you seem even more appealing. So then for the job in at Channel 10, did they find – were they looking for you? There was a job going for um, a newsreader and reporter. So I mm. came here as a reporter and then started doing medical reporting. Yeah, I read which that. I loved. Oh, really? What was – because when you go for a reporting job like that, is it – you're just a, you're not necessarily a specialist. You can just go into area, any area yes. or did you specialise in that? Well, sometimes I also did a medical degree at uni. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I loved your say. reaction. <laughs> it's professor actually. Sorry, what? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, no, I – often when you come into a newsroom, many mm. years ago they would have great rounds. So you were a crime journalist or a political reporter. They still have these rounds. You would also uh, – there was a medical round, which was fabulous. So the position came up for the medical reporter and I said, yeah, I'd love to do it. And I loved medical stories. I'm, really? I'm a real nerd with medical stories because they affect everyone. Yeah. So if we run a story on, you know, prostate cancer – and they were the stories that we always received the most phone calls about. Mm. So people, you know, they didn't have Twitter or they would call up and say, oh, I saw that story on prostate cancer or that new drug for dementia. Can I find out more about it? So, you know, and that was also when your ethics were constantly called into question because you had to be very careful about doing a publicity kick for the pharmaceutical companies. Right. uh, That, you know, the drugs are great. Medication's fantastic. It can change and save lives. But you had to also be very mindful of warning your viewers about the side effects because every drug has side effects. So where did you move after doing the medical reporting? Did you do general reporting or what was I the probably, next I It started as a general journo and mm-hmm. then moved into medical reporting and then I was doing backup presenting at the same time and then became a full-time presenter. Does that happen anymore, the idea that you would specialise in a certain area or is it just everybody does everything No, now? it does in uh, – look, I think specialists – rounds are fantastic Mm. i think they're awesome we used to have a wonderful police journo harry potter who unfortunately passed away a a few years ago i still miss harry he was such an excellent journo and he was the police reporter or police journo and he used to break some incredible stories Mm. so that was the day when you worked all your contacts and i miss those days terribly well i wonder because the jobs are kind of shrinking a bit the Mm. idea of actually having people who are specialists i know that there are some that still exist but that idea of it being something that where you're cultivating contacts and you're the go-to person yes it seems like people have to be more of a sort of all-rounder because there aren't the resources to say okay you're just going to focus on this area you'd sort of be the type of person I would imagine now that just has to go wherever the stories are look there's certainly still in our newsroom we still have a state political reporter and I think you know look with CBS taking over this a massive as we know one of the best organizations in the world for concentration of news so Mm. injection into news is is fabulous um, for not only us but for the rest of the country. What was it like moving to the Big Smoke? Going from Darwin 20 years ago was like a big country town. Yeah. Oh, I was like, oh, the traffic. <laughs> 
No, I loved it. I loved, you know, that that in the back of your mind is a dream. It was certainly dream, a dream to work at a metro station. Did I ever think I would get there? Absolutely not. Well, what's the, I love talking to newsreaders about developing their newsreader voice because, and I've told this story before, but I, for five seconds of my career, was a newsreader on Triple M when I basically got warehoused on a contract and they had nowhere to squeeze me. So they were like, Stop it. Could you do newsreading for the grill team? <laughs> um, so I had to do that. And I was so bad. I was so bad. Every time I was so fabulous. I was so bad. Every time I read a news bulletin, the boss would come in and go, What is this voice you're putting on? And I was a hundred percent positive that I was being natural and normal. But I just guess I couldn't help but be really formal or something. I don't know what I was I doing. Think you do. I think a lot of us put on the newsreader hat. I well But you're pretty good. You're everybody that I've worked with news like you. Uh, yes, of course, there's going to be a natural difference mm. to, between chat and news, but you don't seem like you're doing newsreader, Tash. You should hear how I speak to my sons. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine. Clean your room now. There will be details after the break. <laughs> <laughs> but I, did you find that that was something that you just did quite naturally? I used to take myself way too seriously. Did you? Yeah, I think so. I think because I always thought, I I always saw as an incredible privilege Mm. in my job. And I think there was a turning point where I needed to stop taking life so seriously. I probably put too much pressure on myself as well. And that that's really liberating. I think there was a change in me once I had children. Mm. Because for me, I'm the first to put my hand up and say that I was a perfectionist. And perfectionism does not work when you have children. Mm. And they, I love the fact that um, they can cause complete and utter incredible chaos in your life and that you do have those days where you think, you know what, this is not going to be a good day, especially when they're babies and you cannot, everything cannot be perfect. And being a mum completely changed my perspective on life. It changed my perspective on what I cared about in my work environment. And for me, I think, one of the secrets to surviving in this game is perspective Mm. and that for me taking off you you know what if I make a mistake we all make mistakes stop being so tough on yourself and to have you know I love having a good laugh and I think that change in perspective for me was incredibly important. Have you had any big moments where you stuffed up on live tv or had any major oh gosh (laughs) which day um look I think also it's funny because what I love about watching, and I'm saying as in watching other news presenters or other newsreaders, is I love seeing human element in people. Oh, yes, totally. Don't you think? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's the best because it's, it's the like best. it breaks that wall of like, oh, oh, yeah, you're just like me. Yeah, correct. We're all <laughs> yeah. human. We all make mistakes. And yes. I think a lot of us have imposter syndrome, you know. But the, I think a lot of people don't appreciate how much can go wrong when you oh. are reading the news and, so, you know, your auto cue goes down, you've got something in your ear, something. Was you telling me, was it you that wheeled yourself off the set or what were we talking about? I had one. T- oh, my gosh. Where do I start, Rach? There's so many great stories. Look, Look, someone said to me, and I only mentioned this the other day, what do you think makes a great newsreader or, you know, a great presenter? Many, many years ago, the old school newsreaders, a lot was locked in. So, you know, if it was 6 o'clock news or the 4.30, you know, or the 5 o'clock news, everything was locked in. Not one word was changed on that auto cue for probably half an hour or 45 minutes. Mm. There were no live crosses, all of those. So, of course, that person is going to be a perfect performer. 
now often you know you have to ad lib there's mistakes in the auto queue because everyone's trying to get everything together people are working frantically behind the scenes so to me the golden test of how good someone is is when everything is crashing behind the scenes and falling apart and it's your job to remain calm and look like you're this beautiful swan elegantly <laughs> paddling on a lovely lake so for me that's the test yeah and so many um once I was reading the morning news and we were it was between 11 and 12 I think and we had an auto queue operator and I looked over and at the weather all the auto queue dropped out and I was like oh my gosh what's happened what's happened and I looked over and the auto queue operator wasn't there and there was a work experience student running the auto queue and I thought oh my goodness has something happened to that person <gasps> what's happened they've passed out they've gone to the toilet they've been you know something's happened I don't know let's just call this person um Betty <laughs> Uh, Betty had to catch the 1159 bus to Blacktown. So she decided to leave the auto queue to get her bus. (laughs) Right. And get the work experience person to run the auto queue. So what, did you have no auto queue? No auto queue. So what did you do? Just went off my script. This is something I've watched. I think I can't remember if when we were working together something went wrong, but I certainly know when um, Chris Bath was doing the news reading on the project, yep. this happened, the whole system went down. Correct. And watching a newsreader go off their script, because I was like, how do you even know where you are on that piece of paper? Like, what are you well, doing? I'm notorious for getting my scripts muddled. Oh. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> sometimes you – but as anyone knows that works with me, I love a good rant and can talk underwater for hours. So, you know, that's why sometimes I make sure I'm across all the stories so if something does happen, I can ad-lib through it. Well, that's something a lot of people think about newsreaders. It's an, I think it's a bit of a misconception. It's like, oh, you're going to make up and then you sit there and you read words you've never seen before and then you leave and that's it. But you're very involved in what you do behind oh the scenes. You work harder now than I think um, – well, I'm certainly working harder than I ever have. Look, even on Studio 10, you cannot get onto that show – all the news, I don't even think you can read the news often with authority or empathy or know that you've got to cross, you know, with the Barnaby Joyce situation. We might, during that news bulletin, as happened today, we had to cross into Barnaby Joyce with the live press conference. You have to listen to that. Then the producible will okay, we need to fill for two minutes. I need you to ad-lib and have the response and recap what he's just said. That never happened years ago. Mm-hmm. So you have to be completely and utterly on your toes. But I also love that. What a joy to not just be a straight newsreader, to also bring your journalism credentials come in with analysis or recapping. I love it. Well, that's the thing because sometimes I guess it can maybe feel like you're just flexing one muscle if sure. you're doing the news reading and that's it. But on shows like Studio 10, there is that, but there's also, you you do, you have to be on your toes and you also have to have enough background knowledge to be able to provide an analysis and an interpretation of the story that's happening because nothing happens in a vacuum and pretty much every story that it, we talk about in media has happened before. Absolutely. You know? And there's a past history and if you're not across that, if you're just sort of coming to that those details for the first time, you're going to bring a whole lot of nothing to the conversation. Yeah, and that's why also I think, and you'll probably find this too, is social media is brilliant. It's a brilliant resource. Do you even. like it? I like it from a breaking news perspective. Mm. So with the Barnaby Joyce situation with the press conference where he just absolutely launched a grenade at the Prime Minister today, that's great to see all the reaction unfolding right. when you're live on air. Okay, yeah. well, Bill Shorten's just said this. You know, you can get the response from the nationals. So that is an excellent resource. 
And then if you had to go and cross to somebody else, you would be able to say, you know, say, for example, if we're crossing to Bill Shorten, you'd be able to say, well, Barnaby Joyce said A, B, C and D. He's mm. just said that the Prime Minister was inept. What's your response to that? You know, f- for me, live interviews and live unfolding news is the best thing that you can experience. Are you a consumer all the time or when you have to holidays are you like I don't want to read a story I don't want to be in the news I don't want to hear about anything because it can get exhausting it is exhausting I I find it very very hard to switch off Mm. but and this is what we're talking before about changing workplaces if I'm on holidays I'm a firm believer I might be old school but I firmly believe any job you have you need to unplug yeah because you come back you're far more refreshed and, you know, from, from a management point of view, which it's fabulous, I can, I have the option to unplug and to be able to just relax and engage and be present, which I think is incredibly important for everyone. You know, if, if you can't do that in your workplace, well, your management um, isn't doing so well. I know other people in other jobs that, you know, it's this constant 24-7, mm. even if they're on holidays. That's not good for anyone. Totally. Um, you know what I love most about you? Well, I like a lot of things about you, <laughs> but nobody gets the adorable giggles like you Aww. do. <laughs> you just, once you're off, you're off. <laughs> I can't. I I know, and I get a lot of people don't laugh like my laughing height. Oh, really? Laugh. Yeah. Oh, I think it's super cute. Oh, God, <laughs> love <laughs> you. Because it's just, I, I don't know, when you're, you know, when you're doing this stuff on telly, I just feel that there's a lot of people that are trying to hold it together as best as they possibly can. Yeah. And there's, look, there's a level of professionalism to that. And it's not like you're not professional when you get the giggles, but <laughs> life happens, right? And I think those moments where you see people that, see people on telly and go oh that's like what I do I think those moments are really important I agree and I don't feel like enough people feel comfortable having those moments there's always that sense of like oh gotta zip it up gotta keep it together blah 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 and I'm just I mean god the number of times that I've just bawled my face off on the project after Carrie's good news segment or something or you know you just and how wonderful is that I know favorite segment it's so every time mm-hmm. we just mm-hmm. keep tissues behind the desk yeah. if i'm ever on on a thursday because yep. i am just on the blub constantly just blah but i just think those moments are important because while we hold ourselves together for 90 percent of the time mm. it's really nice to see somebody that gets the giggles because they find something genuinely funny and i think you don't ever want to lose that human no. element because often and i know i mentioned it before um you know, the good news stories are great, but my heart, and after becoming a mum, I really, really struggled to read any stories on air that involve children. Do you think, it, does it feel a bit like you're in a straitjacket when you're doing those stories if you have an emotional reaction to them and you're reading the news? Mm-hmm. Can it feel a bit like you're in a straitjacket? Is it hard to not, because you're just supposed to be delivering the facts, there's still supposed to be empathy there and a warmth to your delivery, but you can't really editorialise. You can't really bring in your opinion to that necessarily. You can on a show like Studio 10, but if yes. you're doing straight news read, is it tough to kind of... I've, I've um, and I'll start getting upset now, there's some stories that I will cry in straight away in the news that I can't even... Mm. because you can see straight away like even car accident stories I still get really affected by that where I just think you know we're reading you know four people have been killed but that is a family's life that has been ripped apart forever and I think we need to be really mindful of that in the media that that is a family that's changed forever and it's not just a statistic. Mm. I guess that's why it's really nice to be able to do those shows like Studio 10 where you can 
Absolutely. have those moments where even if you read a story or you can you can have a breakdown mm. on air and talk mm. about it because that's exactly what people come to that show Correct. for, for those emotional moments and the genuine conversations about things that they see or read in the news. What's, what's been your highlight so far? Is there any particular highlight that you feel like you've had in your career? It's been, look, I would say being part of history, and I know I've mentioned it before, um, when you see history unfold before your very eyes, you know, I even think, I, I don't actually look back and say, oh, wow, that was my top five list, these, you know, five elements. I think as a medical reporter, I look back and think I met these extraordinary Australians who every day I would often be at the Sydney Children's Hospital and we'd be talking to these incredible scientists and specialists and doctors that had saved this little child's life through this groundbreaking research or treatment. They're the people that I want to see on the front page of the paper every day. They're incredible stories. They're wonderful role models, not Kim Kardashian. And don't get me started on that. (laughs) And I think that's wonderful that even this year, 2018, we saw, you know, Professor Simmons. She was Australian of the Year. What a great role model. And Mm. I think that we need to have more sensational stories like that leading our news bulletins and on the front pages of our paper and filling our social media feeds than the likes of Kim Kardashian. I guess that's a bit of a frustrating thing when you've worked in the business for a lot of years is that there has been a real shift in what what news is. Look, there has, but I I can see a shift back. I think think people are – the audience is far more savvy. I think we have a responsibility and, you know, I'm very, very passionate about – this apparent war on journalism, we need to be really worried when the governments and power brokers are trying to silence the media. That's when we really need to be worried because it's our role in the media to keep governments and power brokers in check. And I can tell you right now, corruption's rife Mm. and it fires me up like nothing. It's interesting how the pendulum always swings in everything in life pretty much, you know. You go so far one way that people get so jack of it that it eventually starts to come back the other way. Correct. And I think we also have a role in the media to put out these – I speak a lot at schools and I try and as much as possible – to put out that message about great great role models because the other interesting role models that I get fired up about, it's this superficial, look at me, look at me, it matters what's on the outside rather than what's on the inside. And as you very well know, the most beautiful people you'll you'll meet in your life are those with a kind heart. That's it. Oh, mm-hmm. look at those words of wisdom. No, it is. No, it's I true. Just, it's 100% you know, it's, true. You know, I think we need, and I know I sound very idealistic here but if we had more kindness and consideration of others in our world totally. we'd be a much better place i also think in not just in media but generally this idea that you can be famous just for Nothing. what you look like or just for the fact that you live in you know you happen to be in a certain family Correct. or you put a lot of instagram photos on it cultivates this idea of i don't want to work hard to get money i oh. just want to do something really easy and mm-hmm. so there's that sense that it's a lot easier to do that stuff than, you know, and nobody wants to work anymore. It's like eventually you hope it comes back the other way where people start to realise, oh, that's hollow and it's a house of cards that's going to fall down. Absolutely. And you look at the most, you know, if you want to say the most materialistically wealthy people in the world can sometimes be the most unhappy. Oh, miserable. They don't have what really counts and that's engaging meaningful relationships and Mm. the love and kindness of others. What do you think is the best and the worst thing about this industry? Oh, the best thing is, and I will say this, at 10, and I've had the pleasure of working here for 20 years, it is the people. The people here are fabulous. And we're the first to put our hands up saying that 
We often don't have the extraordinary resources that some of the other networks may have, but we have an extraordinary team of people that work incredibly hard to deliver great content and product for our viewers. That's, to me, the best... Oh, that's very hard to just say one best thing. The other thing is I do love telling stories and I love telling great stories that, you know, will give you a buzz and think, gosh, what a wonderful world we live in. And I also love seeing um, not-so-nice people getting nailed by the journos. (laughs) (laughs) Where you feel that at the end of the day, yes, we've received a little bit of justice. Yes. I was talking to Michael Usher on this podcast about those conversations, like, you know, when he chases somebody around the world that needs to be hunted down and, like, runs up to them in the street and asks them a question. I'm like, that would terrify me I would because I'm so, so into like oh but what if I'm encroaching on your personal space and you, and he's like honestly there is no better feeling than when you are walking up to somebody who you know is just a chump who needs to yes. be done yes. and you're like I'm going to be the person that's going to ask him a really uncomfortable <laughs> question and shove the camera in his how face. are you feeling <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's great what about the worst thing about the industry the worst thing is the instability Mm. I would definitely say in the ever-changing, wonderful world of media, it's the instability. But someone gave me some wise advice. It was my grandmother. Do you know the serenity prayer? No. Okay. So I'm paraphrasing it, but it's basically concentrate on the things in life that you can change and don't worry about the things that you can't change and give me the wisdom to know the difference. Very smart. So there is a lot of instability in this industry and it continues some days to get worse than others. You have to realise, you know what, I can't worry about what I can't control. I go and I do my best job to the best of my ability and don't worry about the rest. The chips fall where they may. Exactly. Uh, All right, final five questions. (gasps) Oh, do I win a car? Like is this sale of the century? You're too young to even know what sale of the century. Oh, come on now. Glenn Ridge. Oh, I know. Please. And Tony Barber. Oh, come on down. Come on down. Oh, no, that was bloody Price Price is is Right. right. I love all the game shows. (laughs) Um, All right, final five questions. First, your biggest regret. I can't say this. You don't um, have to. I mean, you don't have to give one that's going to get you in trouble. But not calling out people when they were unkind, and mm. I regret not calling them out. Sometimes that's so a power in the moment thing, though, don't you reckon? Absolutely, and that is something that I've learnt. Is that I think? Do you know what I'll say? This first and foremost, blokes, men are great at it. Yeah. You know what? Your behaviour's out of control. You're not a nice person. I need to call you out on this, especially bullies. Mm. But sometimes women, I think we let it go and then it just fosters along. And calling out frauds and that kind of goes along that same narrative. But don't you feel like you can't really do that until you feel, okay, I've earned my place at the table and sometimes that takes a really long time to feel confident in your own ability and your own experience and to feel like, yeah, I can tell you this because I – I know I deserve a place here. Oh, absolutely. And I think as you get older, you do have that wisdom, as I said earlier. Mm. You then see it through different eyes where at the moment you couldn't and then you say, okay, this is actually more reflective of what's happening in your life. Yeah. It's their issue. The only thing that I used to be really good at, even from a young age, was calling out sexual harassers in my career. (gasps) Oh, man. Had you experienced a lot of Heaps. You're kidding. And I loved it. I, not I didn't love the harassment. I loved, You called it out at that. Yeah. So what happened and what did you say? Um, I, I've had like old school grabbing my ass at the photocopier. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah. And I blew up deluxe at the filthy guy in sales that did that to me and just 
absolutely tore him to shreds. So that's the only thing I've always felt quite powerful about since I was young because I've always felt an incredible sense of injustice in those moments yeah. but but never powerlessness. Never have I felt weak in those moments because when that has happened to me, I've always felt, well, this is a surefire indication that you are dumber than me because if you think this behaviour is okay, wow. then you are an idiot. Good on you. And so I just, that's the only thing I've always felt powerful about saying but everything, I mean, there's been a lot of other stuff, bullying and whatever else that when I was younger, I just you just put up and shut up and you and you cry in the car park when you get in your car but that stuff there's just something I don't know it just always boiled up an immediate rage in me that just made me raw Mm. and I've seen some rotten stuff yeah and and the thing that used to really get to me was when people used to prey on individuals who like because in when in radio particularly because I was always for want of a better term, breakfast talent, which sounds really wanky, but that's what you are, right? Mm. You're the on-air team in breakfast. You're, you're kind of, you're not level with the bosses in any way, but you're, you have a voice in the office. Mm-hmm. But then the people in like the promotions department, the young girls that would be doing the promotional vehicles and would just really one day be wanting a spot on air, you know, the way that the men used to treat them was really? unbelievable. And it just... There were a couple of times where I had to call out stuff, you know, stuff that I saw, I would then mm-hmm. call it out. But it really, yeah, some of that stuff, I just don't, I mean, you just can't, there's never an excuse for that kind of garbage. But it's the same as bullies. I know of the circumstance with me, this particular person targeted me when I'd had a child. Oh, wow. Not in management, but a fellow employee. Wow. And what made me even sick to my stomach was they targeted me because they knew I was at my most vulnerable because I'd had a new baby. It's pretty unbelievable, And this was a person that was out there saying, oh, let's support new mothers. Oh, God. But you also get to the point where that is actually, as I said before, it's really liberating when you get to that point where you think it says more about, like your experience, it says more about, you just said just then that they were, you know, incredibly stupid. Mm. Uh, to do that Mm. I think I think it's really interesting though that sometimes those really nasty bullies or predators pick their victims a hundred percent absolutely and more evil absolutely they can see exactly who they can get away with it Mm -hmm. and that's and I I'm really interested to see particularly now with all of this me too stuff which is just unbelievable when you think in six months how life can you know how the world can change I wonder how things are going to go moving forward. I think it is a turning point, but once the dust settles, I hope we see concrete change. There is equality across the board and men and power brokers have to be part of the conversation. Absolutely. And it can't be, yeah, we can't forget too that there are a lot of good blokes, you know, because there are a lot of amazing men who, you know, when I came back from maternity leave, I had the most incredibly supportive, wonderful boss. I've had many fantastic male colleagues Mm. that have been incredibly supportive and wonderful. There are wonderful. I'm in a house through three fantastic blokes of husband and two sons. Mm. But, you know, to say that they, they can't have an opinion or to shut them down on it. Yes. I think he's um, dangerous. Mm-hmm. Oh, we really got lost in bloody question one of the final five. Far out. Was that question one or two? <laughs> that was that was one, wasn't it? No, we just did the biggest regret, right? Oh, That's we're it. Only on one. <laughs> we're only on one. Time now. Time for an advertorial. I know, no. right? We'll be back after the break. All right, number two, your dream gig. 
oh, I'm pretty happy. Oh, yes. I like it when that's the answer. I'm pretty happy. There are things that I want to do, but I'm not going to reveal it. Okay. All right. We, I love a good secret. We're obviously in the business of ideas. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have a big idea that you have yet to get off the ground? Is there like, do you want to make a film? Is there, you want to write a TV series? Is there, do you just want to gurney the Yeah, on Channel 10 this? called One Saunders. No, um, <laughs> that's our address. No, 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 no. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, seriously, I am somebody, and I know this sounds bizarre, I'm somebody that never stops learning. And I think I don't like getting stale. I like um, learning different things and I would never say no to an opportunity that comes my way. Get the phone ringing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you weren't doing this as in working in media, what would you be doing? I couldn't think of doing anything else. I know that sounds incredibly bizarre. That's I do great. Actually. Oh, here we go. Handy woman. Of course. Gurney, painting, <laughs> call a wife. You should be, yeah, oh there you go. You should be on like the block or something yeah, or some Renault show or they need to, yeah, they need to build a Renault show on Channel You should see the people when they see me you. at Bunnings. Anyway, I wish I had shares in that company. <gasps> oh, Sorry, please. the best day of my life was when I knew they did sausage sizzles during the week. Oh. <laughs> Small victories. I know. Uh, and finally, your advice to people wanting to get into the business. Oh, my goodness. First and foremost, be passionate, work hard and be kind because the people you meet on the way up are the same people you meet on the way down. Absolutely. Um, all right, you've just worked a full Studio 10 shift and now sat down with me, so I think it's time that you get to go home. I love chatting with you. <laughs> I've got a couple of meetings now. You know how much I love oh, meetings. Oh, you love them. We all, they're just the best. <laughs> if they've got good catering, I'm happy. Oh, well, who cares? Um, thank you so much for joining me, Tash. Oh, Rachel, such a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to You've Got to Start Somewhere. Thanks. To subscribe to the podcast, check out other episodes and keep up to date, head to you've got to start somewhere.com. Thanks so much for listening to my chat with Tash Belling. Look at you getting all the way to the end, hey? Thank you if you have left a review in iTunes for the show too. If you haven't already or you haven't shared it with your friends and family or told them about it, please grab their phone and download the app. Nothing like forceful encouragement, hey? Next week, I'm going to be chatting to comedian, design aficionado and one half of the comedy duo American Rosso, Tim Rosso Ross. And he chats about the first time that he met Merrick Watts when he was performing in his comedy band Black Rose. When we first met was at the SB backstage at the stand-up night and you know I think he was the first person I'd met that I didn't know who'd seen the band you know I'd seen a couple of times and I think he that's what why we became friends because he appealed to my ego. <laughs> <laughs> he knew how to get you. <laughs> but he was a very very good comedian. So you'd never you hadn't seen him. That was the first time I saw him and he was brilliant. On his day there, there isn't any better in this country. Mm. When he's on full flight, none of them can touch him. I'll see you next week for that chat on You've Got to Start Somewhere. <laughs>